If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today, a uh, passage that uh, really challenges us to think about how we live and how we interact with other people. So uh, over the last uh, month, we've been in this series called Better Together, and it's been this idea that God did not design us to live in isolation. He did not design us uh, to just have surface level relationships with each other. He actually designed us to almost interweave our lives with other people. And uh, we started uh, about at the beginning of the month looking at this idea of we have this shared faith that we you know, have reconciliation, we depend on each other, we, we seek unity and community together. That the following week, Jeremy and Chase shared some of their story and, and how God had impacted them at different pivotal moments of their life. And we learned that as we share stories with one another, it really changes uh, how our lives interact. As I get to know you and hear who you are and what you're about, it, it impacts my life and my life impacts yours. Last year, we kind of, or last week, we modeled this shared experience that we are doing things together. We had our brunch uh, last week, and it's this idea as we do life together, as we have these shared experiences, God's going to grow our connection with one another. And today, we're ending this series with focusing on where this has been leading to is that we should, in all honesty, as believers in Christ, have shared lives, that our lives should intersect with one another. That it's not just me and you and this person and that person and this group of people that meets in this room on Sunday mornings. It's actually us doing life together. It's a total connection with other people. It's intimacy, not isolation. And there's a word that's used in our churches that is often referred to as this. If you grew up in church at all, especially in the South, you've heard this word very often. It's the word fellowship. Uh, it's that we are a fellowship of believers. Now, when I hear that word fellowship, especially with my southern church upbringing, like I think of some fun but not too fun parties. Like, you know what I mean? It's like we can go to church. like We can have an ice cream social. We can have a chili cook-off and do these things. But don't turn the music up too loud. Don't, certainly don't like move your body like you're like, we dancing or something like that. Like it's, it's fun but not, not too fun. And sometimes it's, it's just doing things together, like a, a, a basically a Christian mixer is what we think about when we think about the word fellowship. But the word fellowship in the Bible is actually a very different word that has a very much deeper meaning, and it's the word koinonia. And uh, I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson this morning, but I just think that's a cool word to say, so I'm going to say it a few times. But it's, uh, it's the word koinonia, and that word literally means it's one of the strongest words that we can use about connecting our lives with other people. It's an unbreakable bond, a willful pledge to connect your life with somebody else. It's used to describe a marriage. It's used to describe an unbreakable contract. When God says that we should have fellowship of the believers together, when that's talked about as a principle in the Bible, it's not a social mixer for Christians after church. It is that we are intentionally, willfully connecting our lives in an unbreakable bond together. That I'm choosing and you're choosing to do life with somebody else and not isolate yourself. Uh, I grew up when I was very young. We would often go to my grandparents' church. And this was a little country church out in 
North Georgia, that there were probably 40 or 50 people there. And some of the wildest experiences I've ever had in my life were in that church. I mean, just crazy. I mean, all day singings, they would sing like, you know, they'd start at 10 o'clock in the morning and they'd go to five o'clock at night, just singing and all kinds of stuff. But I remember one of the things I did growing up that they would all, like when we do our time, when we greet one another, they would always say it, would you stand and extend the right hand of fellowship to somebody? And I'm like, that's really weird. <laughs> like, what am I like, you know, hey, here it is. Like, I don't, what is this? And uh, I, you know, until much later, I didn't actually understand. That's a biblical principle. It's actually found in Galatians. And it's not just shaking somebody's hand. It actually, the way Paul described it, it was a covenant bond. When you would shake somebody's hand, you're committing and saying, hey, I'm with you. I'm in this with you. And that's what fellowship, that's what koinonia, that's what doing life together means. Is no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what struggle you're facing, no matter what challenges are coming here, no matter what joys that you're having in your life right now, I'm with you. I'm here. We're in this together. Isn't that a great thought? Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? But the truth is, we often resist that kind of lifestyle, don't we? Like it sounds good until we actually have to put it into practice. And I have to open up to people. I have to let them in to my life. Like sometimes I just like, you know, you can get to know me, but not all of me. Like I only give you a part of who I am, but I'm only going to give you the good parts. I'm going to make myself look good and, you know, so that you'll like me. But if that's what I do, I'm really, you're not really going to know me. You're not really getting to understand who I am. People that I know the best in this world are the people that I know at their worst. People that I've seen at their worst. And I think you would probably say the same thing. It's not usually when that happens do I run from that person. I actually want to come and help that person. I want to be involved in their lives. And so today we're going to talk about how we can do this. How can we, as a body of believers sitting in this room, understand fellowship because it's not just enough to share an hour on Sunday mornings or, or even be in a small group together. That's great. But it's actually this idea that we intersect our lives together, intertwine our lives where they're almost inseparable. And this idea can be scary. It can seem will, weird, and it will feel awkward. But God challenges us to do that because if we push through that, there's incredible understanding of who we were designed to be on the other side. So if you've got your Bibles, let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to dive into it a little bit. So this is Luke writing. He, he wrote the book of, of uh, Acts, and uh, it was basically the story of the, the early church. And here's the way he described one of the first churches. He said, And they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as there was need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is quite a story, isn't it? 
I mean, it seems like a, a fairy tale or some beautiful ending to a book or a movie. You know, they all lived happily ever after. That's kind of what it sounds like, right? I mean, they were just doing everything together. Everything was perfect. Somebody had a need. They stepped in and met it. They were hanging out together every day. They were just, I mean, it sounds happily ever after. But I want you to hear, this isn't made up. This isn't a fairy tale. It isn't a dream. It's actually a picture of reality that Jesus set up for us to experience through true, deep, meaningful fellowship with other believers. So let's dive deeper into this and see how this happens. Because in verse 42, he lays out what I call this recipe for fellowship, this recipe for koinonia. How does this actually happen in our life? And so it lays out this list of activities that the believers committed to pursuing together. It's basically a recipe for learning to move away from isolation and move toward intimacy. Now, I don't know how many of you like to cook. I love eating food by people who know how to cook like that's I do love that I'm I'm okay at cooking certain things but there are certain recipes that we have in our family that have been passed down for generations like we have in our cupboard a copy of my grandmother's macaroni and cheese recipe and like there's no other like it I mean, that's that recipe. And when, when we make that, I'm not quite as good as what she used to do. Like, I guess that every generation gets a little worse. But, like, when I taste that, like, that's granny's mac and cheese. That's what we call it. Like, we love that. When I, I think about my, my mom, like, she every so often she'll send us a, a little care package. And in there is a, a pound cake that is about this. I think it weighs like five pounds. And I think some of you have probably had it. You carrying on. You've, they shared stuff with you one time. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I don't know. You know, it's a very simple recipe. But she does something magical when she makes that. That, like, it's my mother's pound cake. I can, when I taste it, I know it. It's a unique recipe that if you follow this, it's just that good. And that's what's laid out for us here. This recipe that if we'll follow it, then these things will show up in our life. We'll start having these intimate connections. Now, it's, it's not, I want to be clear this morning. This is not a recipe for reconciling ourselves to God. I tell you all the time, we are, we're not a church that teaches, we've got to do this, 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 and this so that God will love us. God loves you, period. His grace and mercy are sufficient for you. But this is a recipe. These are things that if we commit to in our life, we're going to experience the grace and peace and mercy of God through relationships like never before. So let's see what they are. Look at Acts 2.42. It starts with this. And he said, one, they devoted themselves. And so the first key word I want you to understand is they devoted themselves. It says this literally means that they had this continual adherence to. That's what devotion means is they didn't just think about doing these things occasionally. They were regularly making sure these things were happening in their life. All right. So it's it wasn't a habit like heading to the gym once a week. I mean, that's great. But these are like I'm doing these every day. And so what are they? Let's continue reading. And they devoted themselves one to the apostles teaching. So the first item of the recipe for Koinonia is this devotion to biblically accurate teaching. It's a commitment to letting the word of God penetrate our hearts. And here's not, this not just means that we show up on Sunday and you listen to whoever's speaking up here, teach God's word to you and let it soak into your heart. That's part of it. Going to small group and sharing and talking about God's word. That's part of it. But here's what it really means when you devote yourself to it. 
is that you are engaging in God's word by yourself. You're engaging as a family together. You're finding a way to involve God's word into your life on a daily basis. It's something we need every day. Think about, Katie has this term, I don't know where she picked it up, but if she doesn't eat enough during the day, she gets what she's what she calls hangry, which is like hungry and angry, I think, mixed together. So she'll come home from work and like, I didn't have lunch today, I'm getting kind of hangry. And I'm like, all right, let's go get something to eat. I don't want to get hurt. And, uh, but it's kind of like if she misses a meal, or we imagine going a day without food. Like, how would you feel? I mean, we'd all be like a little, you know, like on edge. Imagine eating one or two meals a week. What if that was all you did was eat one or two? Is You might could survive, but you certainly wouldn't be thriving in life. And yet we think sometimes the devotion to God's word is just when I come hear Patrick preach or I come to a small group. And, and what they're saying here is when they devote themselves to the teaching is I'm getting in God's word. You're getting in God's word. We're all learning. We're all sharing. So that when we show up in an environment like this or we show up in small groups, we're able to communicate and talk about what God's teaching us and not just be taught. I love that we have a church that is not just one teacher, that we have others that teach and others that communicate. And the truth is everybody sitting here can teach. Maybe you don't teach in this environment, but sitting down, talking to one another, God teaches you, you can teach others. So it's a commitment to teaching. But the second thing is this. It's a commitment to fellowship. It says they devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship. So we've already talked a little bit about what this word means, but I want to give you some context here. This isn't just about letting people into your life, letting them, you know, see you. And that's part of it. That is that is a good start. It is developing friendships, growing friendships. But here's where two things is when you really begin to experience fellowship is when you allow people to speak wisdom into your life and you allow people to speak accountability into your life. So you can, allow, you can come to the point where you say, somebody knows something more than me and I'll let them speak into my life. I'll hear wisdom from them. But fellowship also comes when I'll let somebody correct my behavior because they, I trust them and I know that they know me and they're not just doing this to judge me or tell me when they speak truth into my life, they're doing it for my benefit. And so when we commit to fellowshipping with one another, here's what that does. If I'm seeking wisdom from other people and someone's holding me accountable, it's literally like we're creating this chain together. I'm speaking wisdom. I'm hearing wisdom. I'm speaking accountability. I'm being held accountable. We are connected. That's what fellowship is. When I was in Kenya, we, were, we spent the last two days on a safari, which was one of the most incredible experiences I ever had in my life. And uh, on one evening, we got to actually watch some tigers, I mean, uh, lions hunting, which was kind of cool, except that they were right by our car. <laughs> like it was, I'm like, don't hunt us. There's some wildebeest over there. Go get them. And it was amazing because here's how lions hunt. They, they will run at a group of wildebeest or antelope or whatever it is that they're hungry for that day. And, of course, they go crazy, and they start running off. And do you know, they don't chase the largest group. Do you know what they chase? The single one that goes out on its own. They separate one from the pack, and that's the one they go hunt. They leave the pack alone, but the one that's out by themselves is the one that's hunted and killed and had lunch that day. So we got to see that. It was kind of crazy. But 
the, the truth is this. That's what happens with us too. If you're not part of the, if you're not connecting our lives with others, guess what? It's much easier for us to fail. It's much easier uh, for us to be tempted and drawn away from the faith. And so they were committed to fellowship. But not only fellowship, it says they were also committed to the breaking of bread. And so that's the next item in this recipe. And this sounds like pretty good to me. I, I like to eat. And so breaking bread together sounds amazing. You know, one of the things I love about New York City, there are so many places to eat. And when you go eat, it's an experience. Like I, if some of you know me, like on my Google Maps app, I have all these places starred, and in the like those are places I've eaten or want to go eat. And so if I'm in a neighborhood, like you know I'm there, or somebody will tell me about a restaurant, we'll mark it down. We read a stat somewhere: if you ate at a restaurant, different restaurant in New York City, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it'd take you 53 years to eat at every restaurant in New York City. I'm sure there'd be a few new ones by then, so you just keep going. And but it's like going out and doing and having a meal with somebody is a cool thing. You, you get to connect. And that is part of what's being described here. They would share meals together. They would have time together. Uh, I would think about this when I was in Kenya. We went one of the places that we went and visited. We actually cooked a meal in one of the high poverty areas. We went into this ten by ten little lean-to metal building with Miss Frida and her family, and we cooked a meal and we shared a meal with her. Now we didn't like go to the grocery. I mean, there was like rice and meat and things. We had to cook everything from scratch. I mean, it was probably from start to like finishing the meal and cleaning up. It was probably about a four hour process. But as we were doing that, you know what? I connected with that family. Like I didn't want to leave. I loved being with him. I loved connecting. And it was over a meal. It was over prepping the meal, cleaning up after the meal, serving the meal, enjoying it together. Like we made this. I, I made these things. I made them last week for the brunch called the chapati. And like when you make something like that, it's going to taste good. Right? You're not going to admit that it doesn't taste good because you made it. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat this. It's gonna, and it's just there's something about using your hands and making a meal together. So it's talking about that too. But there's another aspect of breaking bread that they're talking about here. And it's doing something that remembers Christ's sacrifice for us, which is communion or the Lord's Supper the last meal that Christ shared with the disciples prior to being crucified. And he said, basically, they would break bread together in their homes, and they would, they would come and they would celebrate communion together in their homes. And so, you know, we corporately celebrate communion here. You know, every couple of months we have a chance to do that corporately. But you know, the, the Bible gives us the freedom to celebrate communion together as well. Like, we don't have to do it in this church service. You can do it in your home. You can do it with friends. You can share a moment. And what they're saying is as we devote ourselves to that, we're a constant reminder that this connection that we have is through the blood and bond of Christ. And so that's what sharing, breaking bread is. The, third, the fourth thing, the final part of this recipe, says they devoted themselves to the prayers. And so this isn't just a reminder to have corporate prayer and, hey, let's pray to end our service or pray over the offering or pray over our meal. It's instead a call to pray for one another, to speak to God on behalf of those in our fellowship who have need. So it's not just God bless us, God encourages us. It is there's somebody in my life that I know has a need, and I'm going to take that need before God on their behalf. That creates an intimate bond 
between people and between us and God that's almost unbreakable. As you pray for somebody, you have opportunity to speak to the Creator on their behalf. So I want to challenge you. Be, you know, too often we we hesitate to share prayer needs. We think, oh, that's too personal. I can't share that. If if you don't share it, it's hard for people to pray. But then too often we, maybe somebody will share it and we'll forget to pray. We'll be like, oh, I'll pray for you, and then we walk on down the road or forget about it, and we we fail to pray. But I want to encourage you, when somebody shares a need, pray. And I actually want us to do that this morning. Uh, many of you know Miss Nesnita. Uh, she's been coming to church for a few months with us and become an active, vital part of our church. A few weeks ago, she was diagnosed with leukemia and uh, is going through treatment right now and is, is on an up, uphill battle but doing good. And uh, we've talked and, and uh, we've been praying for her. But I want us to pray for her this morning. And so I've asked Christy to uh, come and ask Nita to come down, and, and Christy is going to pray for her. But I want to ask you to pray for her as well. This is somebody in our congregation, in our family, that has a need. Uh, and it's our chance to go before the Creator on her behalf. So, Christy, would you lead us? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you um, for Nita and her friendship um, with each of us here in this room, God, and the way that... Um, her smile or her acts of service have blessed our lives and blessed our hearts, Lord. And I just um, thank you for how she's personally impacted my life and, and our church here. And I just want to pray right now for um, healing, Lord, for healing of um, this disease, God. And, and through that, that um, you are you are glorified and blessed in that, God. And I pray for comfort um, and painless days. Um, and the support and love of those around her to give her strength and encouragement. I pray that you help us to be strength and encouragement to her, that as we um, interact with her through either seeing her on the street or through email or through Sunday morning, God, that we are an encouragement and love to her um, in this time um, of difficulty and pain in her life, God. And just most of all, I just pray that um, through her life and through our lives, you are glorified. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. As needed, we want you to know that we love you and we're praying for you. So, you know, you know, as we devote ourselves to these things, um, to praying, to fellowship, breaking bread, uh, to the teaching, things begin to happen in our life. Change comes. And, and that's the last part that we're going to end with this morning. It's the rest of this passage. And it says, as this happened, there were some results that showed up in their lives. And it says to begin with in verse 43 that there was awe. It says awe came over the believers. And this literally means that they, they saw something supernatural began to happen. Something that was not of their own hands, not of their own work. God began to move in their midst. And, and here's what happened. In verse 30, 43 it says, Awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the first thing we notice is this is when we commit ourselves to this, we start seeing unexplainable acts. Unexplainable things begin to happen. And I'm not going to say, you know, every sickness is going to be healed or, you know, we're going to see that, you know, we're, I, I don't know what we'll see, but I do know we'll begin to see unexplainable acts. We'll begin to experience pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope like never before. We'll see strongholds that were immovable be defeated. We'll see sins that seemed unstoppable be conquered. You and I will experience miracles when we devote ourselves to these things. I can't tell you how it will happen because I'm not God. I, I'm not a, God is the one that's the supernatural power. 
but he works in our lives. Verse 44 says this. It says, not only they were in awe of that, but he says, and then all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so the second thing we start seeing is these unselfish desires pop up in our life. We stop thinking about life in terms of me and you, and we start thinking about life in terms of us. It's us. We're in this together. It's not about look at this person and see how they're different from me or why should I should not help this person. You know, I'm compelled to act and respond in love. We stop looking at others as an obstacle our reasons why we shouldn't do things that we start saying this is how God has enabled me to help this person. And so we start seeing these unselfish desires pop up. But then verse 46 says this, and then day to day, they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and gracious hearts. And the next thing that begins to pop up in our life is these unbreakable bonds that we have with one another. And we stop just tolerating one another, and we start embracing one another. You know, there's a difference between being able to tolerate somebody that's a little different from you and actually embracing somebody that's different from you. And you know, this, when this happens, we'll stop seeing color, race, national origin, status, wealth as things that divide and instead start seeing each other as unique creations of God designed in his image. I want you to hear this this morning. Our, our world is full of this right now. We are, we're seeing cultures clash. And you know what? I have a culture. You have a culture. There's not one better than the other. They're different. But what I want you to hear is this. God is not elevating about elevating man-made culture. He's about taking us and creating a new culture through us. So that we can take a room full of people from all different backgrounds all different spiritual backgrounds, racial backgrounds, worldly backgrounds, wherever you may be from. And he can create a new culture here with us. It's not defined by, you know, white, black, Hispanic, American, non-American, whatever the status is. It is about people that are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the culture that God's calling us to. The last thing is this. In verse 47, he says, And they were also praising God and having favor with all the people. And so the last thing that shows up is this, is this unrestrained hearts. We don't hold back on our love for other people, our love for God. We don't put a limit on how much love we can express to people or to God. Our desire to praise him is unbound. It's we run free. We have no restraints. It's about celebrating the work of God in us and through us to this world. And give you a closing thought here because there's a, there's a last part of verse 47 that I find very intriguing. And it says this, after all this happened, so there was, you know, these four things that you should devote yourself to and then these four things that begin to happen in our lives, these unbreakable bonds, these you know, miraculous things, all these things begin to happen in our lives. And then it says that this happened. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. Can I tell you the most effective way to share the good news of the gospel with other people is not to walk out on a street, find some stranger and say, you know, let me tell you how to get to heaven today. Could that work? Certainly. Maybe. Probably not. 
But here's the deal. The most effective way that it says right here is when we start living this. When our lives start demonstrating these things, people are going to want to run to this place. They're going to want to experience it as well. They're, wanna, they're going to want to overcome sin and barriers in their life. They're going to want to create these unbreakable bonds with one another. They want to have these unrestrained hearts as well. The most effective witness for the gospel is believers who are actually living out the gospel. It's not giving a gospel presentation. It's actually living it, breathing it, and walking it. So my question for you today is this. Are you part of the fellowship? Are you part of it? Are you kind of at surface level? Are you just kind of skimming in and out? Are you willing to like finally lock arms? Say, I want to do this. You look across this room and you go, you know, I know some people in here by name, but like I don't, I don't really know people. You know, we, we can plan events and things like that, but it just takes an intent to devote ourselves to those things, to reach out, to get to know people, to get involved in people's lives. And I want us to be a church. I pray that we're a church. I think God is calling us to be a church where we not only connect with him, but we connect with each other. And that's what being better together is all about. So what's keeping you from devoting yourself to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? You can experience those today. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me?